Hi everyone, welcome to the second episode of the Ageless Science podcast, the companion podcast to the nonprofit Ageless Science. We bring scientifically minded high school students to local retirement communities to discuss important scientific topics and advances, allowing senior citizens to develop greater understanding of changes in the world around them. This episode will focus on Fermi's paradox, which is essentially the question of whether Earth is the only planet with life. To clarify, when we're discussing life forms in space, this could mean anything from a single cell to a plant to an animal. One of the strengths of the topic is that it invites so much conjecture and philosophy. For every scientist arguing one position, there are those who refute it with other data. The topic spans the intersection between science, philosophy, and religion, and really strikes at the core of human curiosity. Because tabloids like the National Enquirer write ridiculous articles about alien sightings and such, the topic's get dismissed as laughable implausibilities. However, they're fundamental questions that are very much true science. As always, we'll spend the first portion of our our discussion on background information, so we're all at the same place. I'll touch on historical context, key terms, the Drake equation, current progress and new discoveries, theories with supporting or refuting evidence, and ethics. Then we can get into discussing thought-provoking questions. The topic is especially relevant with the recent launch of the James Webb Space Telescope, launched on December 25th, 2021. It can see much deeper into the universe than the previous Hubble Space Telescope, since it can view a much larger range of infrared wavelengths. The Hubble Telescope is 340 miles above Earth, but the James Webb Space Telescope is 160,000 miles above. Stars in our universe usually form in the centers of dense dust clouds, which are obscured from our view at normal visible wavelengths, but the James Webb Telescope can penetrate this dust. The super cool part about this telescope is that it can actually see back in time, essentially back to the beginning of the universe, because of the long periods of time it takes light to travel across the universe. We're all actually constantly seeing back in time. Since light from the sun takes 8.3 minutes to reach Earth, if the sun suddenly disappeared, we wouldn't notice it for 8.3 minutes. We never see what the sun looks like in the present, we're always seeing what it looked like 8.3 minutes ago. We can harness this time traveling to view events from the universe that occurred far, far into the past. The largest nearby collection of galaxies, the Virgo Cluster, is about 60 million light years from our galaxy, the Milky Way. So the light we see today from the cluster was emitted from the cluster as the age of dinosaurs was ending on Earth. It'll help us understand the formation of galaxies and the history of the universe. However, there's a sun shield on the telescope that keeps it at a certain temperature, blocking it from being able to see the sun, Earth, moon, Mercury, Venus, and other near-Earth objects. Let me quickly define some important terms that are critical to our understanding of the search for life on other planets. First, a star is just a body that emits light from its core, like the sun, while a planet is a body on a fixed orbit which moves around a star. A solar system is made up of one or more stars around which planets orbit, whereas a galaxy is a collection of solar systems which can contain anywhere from 100 million to over a trillion stars. An exoplanet is a planet that orbits a star outside of our solar system, and a light year is the distance equivalent to the distance light travels in one year. The universe is all matter in space, the whole cosmos. The universe is thought to be 13.8 billion years old. So, now that we understand those definitions, what is the Fermi paradox? To understand the paradox, we must first think of the enormity of the universe. 
Logically, given the sheer number of stars in the universe, many of which are billions of years older than our own, and the probability that even a tiny fraction would have planets capable of giving rise to intelligent species, it seems that humanity should have found some evidence of another civilization by now. It's estimated that there are as many as two trillion galaxies in the observable universe, and the complete universe is predicted to be over 250 times larger than the observable universe. Within our galaxy alone, there are about 100 to 400 billion solar systems, and in total, there are soon to be 200 billion trillion stars in the universe, likely each of which has at least one exoplanet orbiting it. So, when considering the sheer number of planets in the universe, it seems incredibly implausible that we could be the only planet with life. This eventually prompted one scientist, Enrico Fermi, to express the now famous question that's at the crux of the Fermi paradox. Where is everyone? Theories and formulas have been proposed to estimate the likelihood of other planets containing life, the most famous being Drake's equation, which uses seven variables to attempt to calculate the total number of civilizations currently transmitting signals. The co-founder of the search for extraterrestrial intelligence fondly stated that the Drake equation is, at best, a way to organize our ignorance, since each variable only gets increasingly more speculative. The equation states that the number of civilizations currently transmitting signals is the product of the following numbers. The number of stars that are created each year, the fraction of stars that have planets, because not every star has planets, the fraction of planets with conditions suitable for life, the fraction of planets that actually do develop life, the fraction of these planets on which intelligent life would emerge, the fraction of planets with intelligent life that develops technology which could communicate with other planets, and which we would be able to detect with our technology, and then the duration of time that such a planet would be sending out signals. When Drake first wrote the formula, the only known variable was the rate at which sun-like stars are born, about one per year. Now we also know the fraction of those stars which have exoplanets, each star hosts at least one planet on average. But as we near the last of the seven variables, they become much less certain. For instance, the average length of time in years that civilizations might send out signals is complete guesswork. Scientists estimate ranges from zero to up to 30 million. <laughs> Many scientists object to this equation because of its incredibly speculative nature. For instance, let's look at the variable that represents the fraction of planets with intelligent life that develop technologies such as radio communications. Although it recognizes that not all technologically advanced species will be able to communicate with us or will be interested in communicating with us, it doesn't recognize that unless signals are being broadcasted constantly at a very high energy levels, the chances of any being received by Earth are quite low. Scientists recommend that this variable be replaced by a parameter which also factors in our capability of detecting a civilization's signals. So, how are we looking for these signs of life? Humanity has been trying to send radio signals in hopes of other civilizations hearing us and trying to detect radio signals from faraway planets. In 1974, scientists blasted a concentrated radar beam called the Arecibo message toward the M13 star cluster. Although it's unlikely that the short inquiry will ever prompt a reply, the experiment was useful in getting us to think a little bit more about the difficulties of communicating across space, time, and a presumably wide culture gap. 
To detect radio signals, astronomers use a tool called the Allen Telescope Array to listen for signals over a range of radio frequencies tuned to hear the regions around 20,000 of what we call red dwarf stars, stars smaller than our sun that are closer to Earth. Investigating these stars for life-supporting worlds is a relatively recent development, since previously we thought that yellow dwarf stars, like our sun, were more that were more sun-like were more likely candidates. Another method used to detect life is the use of something called transmission spectroscopy, in which we analyze the light emitted from a star by the atmosphere of a distant planet, through the atmosphere of a distant planet. The effect looks like a barcode, and the pieces missing from the barcode light spectrum tell us which ingredients are present in the foreign atmosphere. One pattern of black gaps might indicate methane, another oxygen. Seeing these together could be a strong argument for the presence of life. Or we might read a barcode that shows the burning of hydrocarbons, in other words, smog. So, what are the various theories of why humans haven't been able to discover any other life forms, despite the number of possibly habitable planets in the universe? These are the explanations to the Fermi's paradox. The first subset of theories argues that there's no life beyond Earth. The most prominent of these theories is the rare Earth hypothesis, which states that we are truly alone. There are a number of reasons why Earth was incredibly unlikely to exist as we know it, since many factors are required for a planet to be potentially habitable. First, an orbit that keeps a planet at exactly the right distance from its star to ensure that water remains liquid, not vapor or ice. Scientists refer to this as the Goldilocks zone, not too hot, not too cold, just right. A large moon at the right distance is the second, because this minimizes changes in a planet's tilt, ensuring climate stability. Enough carbon to aid the development of life is the third, but it can't be so much to allow for runaway greenhouse conditions such as um, occurring on superheated Venus. Some state that there are defining characteristics which make Earth uniquely habitable in comparison to other planets. For instance, lots of radioactive elements beneath our crust cause sufficient heat to keep the mantle in a viscous state and drive plate tectonics, allowing both the periodic release of CO2 through volcanic activity and carbon sequestration. This allows for a stable level of CO2, ensuring a degree of climate, uh, climate stability. However, many criticisms exist. For one, it's unclear if tectonics are necessary for life in the first place. At many points in history, atmospheric and climatic conditions were significantly different on Earth than they are today, and yet these conditions are believed to have been essential to the evolution of life at different stages. Another subgroup of theory states that there is life beyond Earth, just no intelligent life. The firstborn hypothesis states that humanity could have been the first intelligent life to emerge in our galaxy. The Great Filter Hypothesis states the idea that there's a barrier at some point in the development of life that prevents them from progressing or surviving further, whether it be prokaryotic or eukaryotic single-cell life, multi-cell life, animals capable of learning tools, industrial civilization, wide-scale colonization, or something completely different. Maybe there's one hurdle that's so high that virtually no society can surpass it and move on to the next. Yet another subgroup theorizes that there is intelligent life, yet it's bound to self-destruct, similar to the idea of the Great Filter. The theory hypothesizes that every technologically developed civilization discovers such advanced technology that their exploration and advancement leads to their demise. It may be that the nature of intelligent life is to ultimately destroy itself, meaning that there have been civilizations, but they've caused their own self-destruction. 
A similar subgroup believes that intelligent life exists, but it's unable to send signals or we can't receive them. The brief window hypothesis states that while the universe may actually be teeming with life, time and space impose significant limitations that make it very difficult for intelligent species to communicate with each other. In essence, the distance between civilizations could mean that by the time a civilization has advanced to the point that it can broadcast a signal to space, it'll be extinct before it can receive any reply. In 2016, a study concluded that we still have to wait about 1,500 years to have a decent chance of being reached by some other life forms broadcast. It's easy to get caught up considering the chance of discovering other life forms and not delve into the possible ethics and consequences. For one, no guidance exists on what to do if microbial life is actually discovered. Plus, what do we say in response to a message from another life form? Who speaks for us? And should the public even know about it? With all that background, here are some of my questions. First, why is the search for life on other planets important? Why are we so set on determining whether we're the only life forms in the universe? I personally think it comes down to the matter of simple human curiosity. Why do we do anything if not for intellectual advancement? Even if we find nothing, the search allows us to document stars and planets and even our place in the universe. Also, if the Earth eventually becomes uninhabitable, it would become necessary to find another planet to survive on. A second question, should we be investigating resources, investing resources into searching for other life forms, for instance, if we expect that we're going to destroy Earth, or is this a waste of global finances? Which is a scarier prospect? Other life forms existing in the universe, or us being alone in the universe? Is no news good news? Another Is our rareness something to celebrate or be disappointed by? What would it mean for humans to be the only conscious beings in the universe? If there's a civilization advanced enough to the point where they could see our signals, do we want to be found? Which explanation to the Fermi paradox do you agree with the most? Or do you have your own theory? Also, imagining that this great filter exists, do you believe it's behind us or in front of us? Is there some barrier that we'll reach soon that will doom us and prevent us from further progression? Or are we egotistically assuming that we're the first species to have passed through this filter? How would our decisions change if we weren't the only planet with life in the universe? We seem to operate under the assumption that we're the only planet. Would we do anything differently if we weren't? I want to briefly end with a Carl Sagan 1990 quote. In all this vastness, there's no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. That's all I have for today. Thank you so much for listening. I know I'll be reflecting on some of these questions, and I hope that you choose to tune into future podcast episodes or blog posts. Thank you so much for listening.